0: Support for Rule Breaker Investing comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Home plays a big role in your life, and that's why Quicken Loans created Rocket Mortgage. It lets you simply apply and understand the entire mortgage process fully, so you can be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com. fool And this episode of Rule Breaker Investing is also brought to you by Eero. That's E-E-R-O. Never think about Wi-Fi again when you can have brilliant, hyper-fast, super-simple Wi-Fi systems with Eero. And now the second generation Eero is tri-band and twice as fast as its predecessor. For free overnight shipping, visit Eero.com and at checkout select Overnight Shipping, then enter, all caps, FOOL. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. Welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. If you are in the Northern Hemisphere, I hope your summer is going well. And if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, as at least one of our correspondents is this week, I hope winter is chilly good. So, I really haven't taken any summertime away. I'm due at the beach at some point in the next couple of weeks. But, as always, we will have fresh podcasts for you throughout all 52 weeks of the year. In fact, I can tell you ahead of time that next week, we're going to be focused on your company culture. This is something I've done about once a year. We're now in our third year for Rule Breaker Investing, so I'm going to have back for a third time a couple of crack in-house fools who help run the company culture, and we'll share out with you, if you're interested, if you want to make your workplace better, some of the things that we're trying and maybe learning work or don't work. So, company culture, making yours better, a focus next week. But before we get ahead to our mailbag, which is where we are, it's that time of the month, it's the final Wednesday, therefore it's Rule Breaker Investing Mailbag, I do want to start a new process, which is just briefly to look back at the month that was and the podcasts that were. So I want to mention that we did three podcasts this month. The first was an interview with McKenna Hassey, the very talented race car driver who's also a college student and an investor. A young woman who's in charge, I think, of the investment club at her university, while at the same time Taking a lot of risk out there on the raceways. So, what a delight that was with McKenna. Hope you enjoyed that. If not, listen. The second week, we tallied our five Brexit inspired stocks and saw how those stock picks I made a year ago are doing with the lessons that we've learned thus far. And then last week, it was time for our first ever edition of Stock Stories Volume One. I had three of my favorite analysts that I work with on a daily basis here at the Motley Fool. Into the studio, and we talked about stories like, well, Activision, Blizzard, um, Facebook, what we can learn from Netflix, um, stock stories, something that we'll do again and again, no doubt, in future months and years on this show. So that's a look back at July, and uh, I I think it was a pretty stock centric focus. Um, And so, understandably, some of the questions that I got for this week's mailbag were very stock focused, and that's appropriate because at the heart of rule breaker investing is, in fact, talking and thinking about what works on the stock market. We do talk about a lot of other things besides that, because I think a fully rounded view of what's happening in our world and our culture will make us better investors. But at the end of the day, the buck stops here with, I hope, effective financial advice for you, and particularly good thinking about which stocks you should buy and which ones you should avoid. So, let's talk about that some more this mailbag. So, I'm counting six mailbag items this week. Number 1 comes from Zhang Wei. "'Hi, Dave. The other day I was enjoying your older episode, Dark Clouds I Can See Through. Uh, For the second time, Zhang Wei writes, when I heard you say, Walmart will kill some idea struck me and I said to myself, I have a question for Dave for the end-of-month mailbag episode." Nowadays, you go on, we often hear quotes, Amazon will kill. I would love to hear your thoughts on what you think won't be killed by Amazon and what will dethrone Amazon, just like what Amazon did to Walmart, let's say. A lot of professionals say Home Depot's kind of immune to Amazon. You continue. Look at what today's news of Sears will sell Kenmore on Amazon did to Home Depot stock. Yep, that happened a little earlier this month. Is there anything safe from Amazon? Obviously, I think a lot is due to FUD, that is of course the acronym for fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Zhang Wei concludes his note with By the way, thanks for all the great episodes. I especially enjoyed the gifts, keep on giving one, and bought shares of Activision Blizzard for my sons. And they're up big in a short period of time, but the best part I think I gave them is the importance of stock ownership. And yes, I'd love to think, Zhang Wei, that whether Activision Blizzard had done really well since you gave it to them, or poorly, I hope they would understand the lesson either way. But no substitute for some good short-term performance, right? It's always fun. So, congratulations. So, as I think about your question, I think of two podcasts that I've done in the past on this subject. The first one you referenced, since Dark Clouds, I Can See Through. For the record, that was February 17th, 2016. Yep, it's still one of the 100 that iTunes keeps above the fold. So Anybody can go back and listen to that, because it's really important to understand the power of dark clouds to briefly review. Dark clouds are when you and I, and really the whole world, is pointing at something that seems obvious and somehow threatening to a company that we're looking at. So If we were to take Amazon, for example, back in the day, everybody was saying, they're not making any money might they go bankrupt? They're not making any money. They'll never make any money. The stock is overpriced. That kind of thing. So, that's a dark cloud, something that everybody was looking at. Everybody could see that big dark cloud with rain coming down and cartoonish lightning bolts just down over that Amazon.com stock. And yet, when you can see through it, for example, a lot of us a lot of fools recognized that Amazon actually had a lot of cash flow. So while it was spending that cash flow to expand its business, therefore looking like it was losing money, the truth was the company was had some very positive dynamics with cash flow and some of its balance sheet items, like it got paid up front, and so it could play the float. I won't go into that, but the point is, when you have a dark cloud that you can see through, that really helps you make better investment decisions as an investor, Zhang Wei. And the second episode I want to mention. and This one, unfortunately, has disappeared from the last 100. However, if you Google this phrase, of killers and kings, Rule Breaker Investing, try that, of killers and kings, Rule Breaker Investing, you will find that podcast, a short podcast I did, as it turns out, on September 16th of 2015. I hope this doesn't sound like the Wayback Machine podcast, but the truth is, when I do these podcasts, I kind of remember them, and I hope that they've made a point, and I'll go back to those points. And I don't want to just repeat the same stuff over and over each week on my podcasts, so I like to point out that you can go back and listen and learn to some of the ones that jump back at me as particularly helpful. And Of Killers and Kings makes the point that I don't like it when people say, this is going to kill that. It never really does. Amazon hasn't killed Walmart. Walmart may have out of business, some small mom-and-pop stores, but for the most part, Walmart hasn't really killed anything. Most of these companies aren't actually trying to kill anything or anyone. They're trying to offer a good product or service that's better than what's out there in the marketplace, for some people anyway. Might be more convenient, might be cheaper, might be some brand new possibility like an electric car. All of these for-profit companies are generally just trying to find customers and sell them a good product or service they're not Amazon killers or Walmart killers. So, Of Killers and Kings contains some of my thinking about that kind of language and how it's just the wrong framework too often. And you do see that language used a lot in headlines. You know, What's going to be the iPad killer? What's going to be the Tesla Model S killer? It's all very silly, and I would highly suggest that you don't pay attention to it. In closing my answer to your question, Zhang Wei, you're ultimately asking, what might dethrone Amazon or what is proof against Amazon. I had a fun conversation with Brian Salvi, one of our summer interns on a park bench this morning, and he was asking me kind of what's a retail stock that I would buy today thinking 10 years it'll still be around 10 years from now. And I'll give you my answer right now. I'm not saying run out and buy this stock. I'm just identifying the kind of company that is probably proof against Amazon. And yes, perhaps Home Depot a much more impressive company is another example. and Certainly, Best Buy, which is not the company I named on the park bench, Best Buy has done pretty well in recent months and the last couple of years in an Amazon-driven world. But I said Tiffany, because to me, the experience of finding jewelry, specifically higher-end jewelry, everything from a very special jewel like what you would want to put on a diamond ring as as you wrap it on somebody's finger one day, or just some of the signature jewelry lines that Tiffany has. Tiffany has built that brand over decades. I don't see it being disrupted. I don't see people clicking on Amazon to buy high-end jewelry. And I also think that when you think about great branding, a lot of people, maybe more women than men, I think that's a fair generalization to make, have some kind of chemical response in their brain that's highly and unleashes great stuff when they see that cyan-colored Tiffany box for a gift that you might receive for the holidays or a birthday. There's a lot of power in the Tiffany brand, so that might be an example of a company that I think is proof against Amazon. But there are no doubt many other examples. And as much as we all love Amazon, and I hope you own shares, too, and have done well with it, I don't think it's out to kill the world, and I don't think Amazon is going to end up being the only thing that any of us is buying from. So, to summarize, find dark clouds that you can see through, avoid phrases like killers and kings, and ultimately, recognize what companies are trying to do which is sell a good product or service at an acceptable price to a growing number of people, improve the world in so doing, and, the company hopes, build something sustainable that you and I can be part owners of as stock market investors. Now, back item number 2. This one comes from far afield. This one comes from Trent McBride. I will start by reading my best effort at Trent's accent as he wrote this note to us, and then I will quickly drop the fake accent. Here we go. Dear Team Fool, my name is Trent McBride. I'm a 32-year-old Australian designer entrepreneur based in Tokyo for the past 10 years and came across the Rule Breaker Investing podcast A couple months ago, accidentally, when browsing through, okay, I'll stop that. When browsing through the Spotify podcast, I'd been wanting to get into investing, Trent writes, for about 10 years, but always felt it was above my head. The RBI podcast has changed the way I think about everything, really. I find it inspirational in so many ways, not only when it comes to investing. and it's one of the things I look forward to most each day. Wow, that is a remarkable statement, Trent. I'm honored. Not only that, but this is not a daily podcast, so I guess you're catching up on my my backlog, which is awesome. Especially since only the last hundred are even retained on on iTunes. So thank you very much for those kind words. You go on to say, I'm going to just summarize parts of this, you've subscribed to Stock Advisor, to Rule Breakers, to Motley Fool Hidden Gems as well, you made your first stock purchases several weeks ago, you've learned so much already. Naturally, many things you still have yet to learn. But in particular, you have this one question. Trent writes, I often hear that the market tends to always go up. So, the longer you're in the market, the better, and the more lucrative it will be. This is certainly reassuring, especially when also hearing quotes like, well, this is my Rule Breaker quote, the market always goes down faster than it goes up, but always goes up more than it goes down. Uh, And obviously, selecting great companies is the most important factor in how successful you are in stocks. But, here's the question, what is it about time that really tends to push the value of a company up? And perhaps, Trent, I'll extend that to just the market overall. Why, when we look at just about any stock market worldwide that's been around for at least a few decades, why, when you step away from that graph, does it go from the bottom left to the upper right over any meaningful period of time, uh, including a few centuries now? Why? It's a philosophical question. I'll take my best quick shot at it here on Rule Breaker Investing, but you might have a better answer yourself, dear listener, whoever you are. But when I try to answer that question, the first thing that comes to mind is, that we are constantly making progress as a human race. It may not look like it at all times, and sometimes we have depressions or steps back, horrible things like wars. But for the most part, what we're doing, think about the technology gains that we've seen just in our lifetimes, and that goes for whether you're Anna Rose, our intern here at The Motley Fool, who's somewhere just past the age of 21 or two, or me, 51 or 52 soon. Or you, whoever you are, just think whether we're looking at 10 year timeframes. I mean, I don't think the iPad was even around 10 years ago, or 50 or 100 year timeframes. It is remarkable the technological progress that we not just have made, but will continue to make our making. So, remarkable gains, not just in technology, but in all kinds of progress. There's a great book called The Empathic Civilization by Jeremy Rifkin, who talks about if you were making empathy a stock. Over the course of the last few thousand years, empathy has been a huge bull market. Not to say there aren't still a lot of problems today and people who don't empathize with each other, but the degree of empathy that is shared by many people worldwide is at an all-time high. And that includes everything from empathizing with your fellow human beings, to empathizing with the animals around us, to empathizing with maybe more abstract things like the environment that many people empathize with today in ways that previous humans wouldn't have even been able to contemplate. So. Empathy. Um, How about productivity? One of the great stories of the American economy over the last century has just been the huge productivity gains. I mean, just introduce a computer into the workplace and think about how much time is saved for you and for me. Or, speaking of just time in a less productive way, but how about how much time DVR, as TiVo, has saved me as a baseball fan who can skip through the Minnesota Twins getting smoked again in the first seven innings, and just watch the last two innings, if you like, this summer, which has been painful in the last few weeks. Or you, whoever you are, skipping through ads. Think about, I think Seth Godin's called it the TiVo dividend. All of us got paid a dividend, time we didn't expect to have when that technology came along. What are you making, Seth has asked, of your TiVo dividend? Uh, your DVR. So, there are so many things around us that are constantly causing progress, and I believe that is why you see the stock market going up over time. So, Trent, I'm glad you've asked the question. I took my best quick crack at it. No doubt, whole PhD theses have already been written far more uh, diligently, deeply, and knowingly than what I provided you. But I've I've taken my own Rule Breaker crack at it, and it makes me bullish, continue to be bullish for the future. And one of the great things I learned from the book The Rational Optimist, which I've mentioned before on this podcast by Matt Ridley, one of the great things I take away to close this answer is that things continue to get better, but ironically, most people don't expect that. Most people say, my kids won't be as well off as I've been, or throughout history. Being a pessimist has sounded smarter and always been the more common bet. And so, ironically, those of us who are optimists are a contrarian group. We're almost always right. And by taking positions in for-profit public companies that go from the bottom left to the upper right over almost any meaningful amount of time, we are very well rewarded for our optimism. It's a rational, it's a rational stance to take. So, there's a little bit of, maybe, American Good old fashioned American optimism for you, Trent? Not sure, but thank you for your note. All right, before we get to mailbag item number three, support for Rule Breaker Investing comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Chances are you're confident when it comes to your work, your hobbies, and your life. Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details. By the way, they're splitting an infinitive with that ad copy and they just made me do it. I'm going to correct that for Rocket Mortgage. Here we go. This is the pedant in me that sometimes I can't, I can't restrain. Allowing you fully to understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to our friends at rocketmortgage.com. fool Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states. nmlsconsumeraccess.org number 3030 Rocket Mortgage. Thank you for supporting Motley Fool Podcasts. Seems like all of 2017. You're awesome. Now back on number 3. This one comes from Michael J Kaufman. He is a member of the 2017 class of Hampton Sydney College as Wikipedia is my friend. I'm going to give you a couple interesting things about Hampton-Sydney College. This comes from perhaps the Hampton-Sydney, Virginia Chamber of Commerce. Well, no, this is just me reading off Wikipedia. But Hampton-Sydney is a liberal arts college for men located in Hampton, Sydney, Virginia. It was founded in 1775. It is the oldest private charter college in the Southern United States. It is the 10th oldest college in the United States. It is the last college founded before the American Revolution. It is one of only three four-year all-men's liberal arts colleges in the United States." That's just kind of interesting. The other two, by the way, those of you in Crawfordsville, Indiana will recognize Wabash College as one of those. And then, in Atlanta, Georgia, Morehouse College. Anyway, that really isn't germane at all to Michael Kaufman's good note, but I did just want to share, because I think that's kind of interesting. RBI team, I've come to love each and every Motley Fool podcast. It kept me sane while painting four acres of fencing during the swampy Virginian summer. I recently landed my first job out of school. been putting $50 of each paycheck weekly into a personal investment account. Good on you. Well, well done, Michael. Since it is not an insurmountable amount of money, I become weary about which companies I should invest in with the minimal capital accumulated. It becomes stressful at times, because waiting to purchase a stock while my money sits there makes me question whether I should invest in stocks that are minuscule in price. So, here's my question. I recently came across a company, I'm not even going to give the name, that had a market cap of $55 million and a drug that is FDA approved. As I type this, it's currently trading at $1.47 a share. He goes on to say a little later in the note, the CEO had recently purchased some shares at $1.76, so the CEO showed some confidence and the stock dropped from $1.76 to $1.47. Perhaps you know where this is going if you're a long-time listener. But, Michael, I want you to know this. I wouldn't buy companies with market capitalizations below probably $200 million at a minimum. I realize there are some Motley Fool analysts, some of them I love, who do wade into micro-cap territory. But this is a what I would call a penny stock. Now, it is measured more like 147 pennies, not just a few pennies. But I would highly suggest that even though you have small amounts of money at this early stage of your career, that you open up an account with something like Robinhood, or find something like ShareBuilder, which is a way that you can start getting invested with fractional shares. You don't have to only be able to afford with $50 a stock that's going to be at one so you can get 50 shares. You can, in fact, buy a share of Google, even though it's at hundreds of dollars, with just your $50 by starting with a fractional share. You're going to do much better and I'm not just speaking to Michael Kaufman of the Hampton-Sydney College Class of 2017. I'm saying this to everybody of every age. I think you're going to do a lot better if you stay focused on very fine companies, companies that you are proud of, that you're not guessing whether or not they're going to get FDA approved, or that have CEOs purchasing shares below $2 a share. So. Um, I hope that's pretty clear. It's a really good question. I know it's going to be one that will recur here on Mailbag. I think I've answered it before. But I think it's important to make sure that we say certain things from time to time again and again. And the buying penny stocks theme, I'm going to always be advising against that. Thanks, Michael, and good luck. Congratulations already having gotten your investment account going. Mailbag item number 4. And I love this, because here comes another from a young investor. My name is Daniel Scruggum. It begins, and I am a 15-year-old investor. I enjoy following The Motley Fool and listening to the podcasts. My question is related to the value of growth stocks. Daniel writes, Many stocks such as Shopify, my latest purchase, are growing at an incredible rate of growth, but have lofty valuations. I learned this the hard way on Under Armour. Daniel writes, with growth stocks, should valuation be a major factor in determining whether to buy a stock, or should you just ignore valuation, find a company you like, worry about the stock or the valuation later? In other words, is it worth paying an extremely high premium for a growth stock that you believe in, or should you wait for the price to, quotes, go down? What price is too high for a growth stock? Open paren, a perfect company, close paren, question mark. Thank you for answering my question. Keep up the good work. Daniel Scroggum Daniel, thank you very much for your note, and also for the brevity of your note. Um, I appreciate a focused question like that one, and I'll tend to favor those in future Motley Fool mailbags so I don't meander on and on and start reading Wikipedia entries for colleges. Uh, so, Daniel, here's my thinking on this very pertinent question. You're basically asking, when companies are growing really, really fast, which might impress you, should we be paying the frequently high valuations being asked of us to buy into those stocks? A lot of stocks trade off of earnings, and some companies have the same earnings. We'll just say they're earning fifty million million, two Two companies. One of them is valued at $600 million, which is, quick math, 12 times earnings. Another company, same $50 million of earnings, is trading at $5 billion, and that's, quick math, 100 times. $50 million. Same $50 million in profits, two different companies, widely varying valuations. And Daniel, you'll probably know this, and I know a lot of my fellow rule breakers who tune in every week already know where I'm headed with this, but I often favor the company that's at $5 billion, trading at an outrageous price to earnings ratio of 100, versus the seemingly much more bargain-priced, bargain-oriented stock that also has $15 million of earnings, but is only worth $600 million. And the reason that this has worked, and I hope, Daniel, to make a quick case that you should continue to believe it will work, is because usually the company that's trading at 100 times earnings is growing at a high rate, and is often very impressive by other measures. It might have a much brighter CEO, it might be in a much more attractive industry, it might be a company that is building a huge competitive advantage. That's why the market is willing to pay up for these kinds of companies. And what's funny about it, and this is the heart of Rule Breaker Investing, what's funny about it is, a lot of people just don't buy that $5 billion company. They just say, I would never pay, they'll say, 100 times earnings. It's overpriced. And so, what happens is, the companies that are the best ones of our time, which trade at understandably high multiples, like the example I'm giving, People don't buy the best companies of their time. And then later on, they regret it. They say, I should have bought that because that $5 billion, that company's now worth Amazon, now worth $500 billion. And if I just paid up 100 times earnings 15 years ago, I would have made 100 times my money. And so it doesn't work every time. And these are exaggerated examples. But I hope it's clear that in your note, you're using a phrase that I never use or that I try never to use. And that is the phrase growth stock. Um, I think I've inveighed against that phrase before in this podcast. It's highly contrary, because so much of the world talks about value stocks and growth stocks. But I think of them all as stocks. Each of these is a company. Some are admittedly growing more than others, but that doesn't cause me to call it a growth stock. Now, maybe I'll say it's a growth company, although that's an awkward phrase. I might say that company's growing really fast. But all of these are companies, and if they're public, they have stock that you can invest in. And I don't spend a lot of time thinking about as a, an investor, someone acting over the long-term, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about what the valuation is right now, as a as a multiple of earnings over the last 12 months, or even over the next 12 months. I'm thinking five-plus years forward and asking, who's going to take over the world in a good way? And can you and I hitch our wagon to those stars? And sometimes those stars flame out, because there are shooting stars, which aren't actually stars as anybody who's ever studied astronomy will know. And it's sometimes annoying to talk to people who think that shooting stars are actually stars, when they're not. They're just meteorites. They're things that entered our atmosphere briefly, scooted through the sky somewhat near us, somewhat visibly, kind of caught on fire, and looked like a shooting star. But they're not actually shooting stars. But anyway, whether we've hitched our wagon to a falling meteorite, or a real star, more often than not, by finding the great it's going to outweigh the flame-outs, and you and I, Daniel Scroggam, are going to be very happy as investors that focused on the quality of the company and didn't get carried away with thinking that it's all about price-to-earnings ratios. There's an answer. Alright, we have two more mailbag items. I'm going a little bit longer form with each of these this week. I only found six that really jumped out at me, past mailbags. You're a long-time listener, you know this. We've gone as high as maybe 12 or 13. So, I guess what I'm saying in so many words is, let's come up with some better questions next month. Ah, sarcasm is the wit of fools. This episode of Rule Breaker Investing is brought to you by Eero. That's Eero, E-E-R-O. Never think about home Wi-Fi again. The company just introduced its second-generation Eero and Eero Beacon. They started in early 2016. Since then, they've learned from hundreds of thousands of systems, making them smarter, faster, and more reliable. The new second-generation Eero And Eero Beacon allow you to build a Wi-Fi system that's more perfectly tailored to your home than ever before. More speed and range in the same high-quality, elegant design that people have come to expect. Now, this newest version is, as I mentioned earlier, Tri-Band, twice as fast as its predecessor, which lets you do more simultaneously in every room of your home. And with the addition of a new Thread Radio, Eero can connect to low-power devices like locks, doorbells, I enjoy my ring doorbell, by the way. That's an unsolicited ad, but that's a good example of smart home technology that Eero works with, other sensors, and more. Expanding your coverage in any room is easy with the Eero beacon. You simply plug it into a wall and you're covered. And you can add as many Eero beacons as you want. If there's an outlet, there's Wi Fi. Now, I should mention, I haven't used the Eero product myself yet, but We definitely have some in-house fans. I was listening to Market Foolery the other day, and our own Dan Boyd was talking about how effective Eero and plugging in a beacon or two in his wide, particularly if you have a lot of rooms going from one direction to another as opposed to multiple floors, it can be really helpful to throw those beacons down and have better Wi-Fi from one room to the next. Anyway, the company offers you free overnight shipping. Just visit Eero, E-E-R-O.com, and at checkout select Overnight shipping, then enter that's right, the magical keyword, all caps F O O L, and that'll make it free for you. We thank Eero for its support. Welcome to Rule Breaker Investing, Eero. Mailbag item number five. This one comes from frequent correspondent Bill Housley. Bill, how you doing? I'm reading yet another one of your good questions this month, so give yourself a big green check mark. Thanks, Bill. You said, David and team, I listen to every single Foolcast, every podcast. I can't get enough. Thank you very much. We have a lot of podcasts. I try to listen to them all, too. I don't hear every single one every week, but I hear a lot of market foolery in particular. Um, I enjoy the market recap at the end of every day, industry focus, etc. Love them all. Thanks, Bill. My listening purpose is not for any particular investment recommendations, he writes. I listen religiously for the foundational educational principles, and they make me smile. Your book, The Motley Fool Million Dollar Portfolio, was my first book on investments. It was foundational. Thank you. I think many of the Fool followers will agree that most of what we see on TV or read on the net seems to be just noise, excluding The Fool." Well, that's, that's too kind. There are a lot of great things on the web. And we have some noise at fool.com. But thank you, Bill. Could you please just give your listeners a few tricks on how to filter out the noise? And you go on to say, we could full stop there, and we will, because otherwise I'll just have too long a podcast this week. So, filter out the noise. Here are two quick thoughts. The first one is, maybe stop with the news. Stop with the news for a little while. I'm trying this. It's funny that Bill wrote me this note, because I had just, on my own, purpose this in the last month. I decided, for me anyway, my regular news source, well, there are a few, but one of them is just the Google News, news.google.com. Just the homepage. You can refresh it all the time and constantly see the news. Lots of stories. You can select your providers if you like. You can say show me Motley Fool stories. You can tweak it, if you like. And that's my that's my personal go to. I also um, have the New York Times sending me alerts when it thinks something important has happened in the world. I have that as well, and a couple of others. And I decided I don't care that much about a lot of this news. Maybe it's because I'm getting older, and maybe this is a little fuddy duddy. But darn it. I want to spend more of my time not caring so much about what's happening all over the world every day. So, I decided I'm going to check in with the news once a week. The source that I'm choosing, I'm experimenting with, it's just July and August of this summer. Feel free to play along at home, too, with your favorite source. For me, my father, who just turned 80 this week, happy birthday, Dad, my father said he thinks everybody should read The Economist. And I like The Economist a lot, and I decided, in honor of my dad, I'm going to read The Economist. And one thing I like about The Economist is, it has a summary of what's happening around the world in the first couple of pages of every issue. It comes out once a week, you can see it on digital, and I decided that's going to be the news that I follow. It is a globally-minded publication, so I kind of see a little bit of everything but I don't really care about so much of the celebrity stuff that a lot of, I think in particular Americans, but perhaps many non-Americans seem to care about. I don't actually care that much about market gyrations, even though I love following the stock market, etc. So, stop with the news. Filter out the noise. Number one, pick a more acceptable, let's even go with old school, maybe even 18th century increment for you to keep up with the world at large. I appreciate how attractive things like notifications and all the many different sources that we have today, I appreciate how attractive that world of news can be. And yet, for me anyway, I've found it too engrossing and ultimately not satisfying enough for all of the time I've been spending following the news. So, maybe, Bill, that helps you. Or maybe that helps you, dear listener, whoever you are. Stop so much with the news! And then, number 2, this one's easy for investors. Stop with the selling. Too much selling, too much thinking about how I should exit this stock, or now that I got in, what's my target price? You know, as soon as you twist your mentality to the foolish capital F, foolish way, I've done this for years. My brother Tom has as well. Many motley fools do this. When you don't really think about having to sell something, when you think, you know, I'm in this to win this three plus years. Turns out, a lot of the investment news that you feel like you need to follow, including where the stock price is, or what's just happening with the company, or when earnings are coming up, all of those things that can be noise for some of us, if you start saying, stopping with the news and stopping with the selling, you'll find, I think, a lot more simplicity. And, frankly, a lot more time and attention to spend on the things that are more worthy of your attention, that you'll look back on at the end of your life and say you're glad you lavished attention on those things. Not so much with the news, not so much with the selling. Thanks, Bill. Mailbag item number 6. This one comes from somebody I know pretty well. It's just signed DG. Initials that are familiar to me. And it's not that well-written. In fact, it's kind of off the top of my head a little bit. But here's the question. David, I follow you on Twitter. You're at DavidGFool. even though I'm not yet subscribed to Motley Fool Stock Advisor, which I want to do one day, I did see that you mentioned that Motley Fool Stock Advisor had a special moment last Friday, July 21st. You said that for the first time in Stock Advisor history, one of the stock picks from the service had gone up 100 times in value. You said that it was Netflix, that you purchased Netflix in 2004 December at a dollar 85, so what Netflix needed to do was crest over 185 dollars a share to become a hundred bagger, and it closed Friday at about 188, up about four or five bucks on Friday. David, can you briefly reflect on a few of the traits that were present in Netflix as a company back when you picked it, and maybe thoughts about holding that stock to a 100 bagger so that I, whoever I am, could maybe find that kind of a stock in future? Thanks. And thank you, DG. And here are three quick thoughts, because we're running out of time, one of my longer podcasts. Three quick thoughts about Netflix. Number 1, it's a great company. There are no great stocks without great companies. You and I will never be great stock pickers if we're living in a world where there aren't good companies. Netflix is a great company, and usually the stocks that will go up 20, 100, or Like some of us have had for Amazon 300 times, the companies are great companies. Three quick little attributes high impact, can't miss them. They're doing something really important in the world. That's true of Amazon, that's true of Netflix. Number two, visionary leadership, great CEOs. Reed Hastings is a great CEO, the smartest guy in the room. And it's a big room because it's the room of media. And I think he's the smartest person in media today. And then number three, excellent culture. You may have seen Netflix talk some about its internal culture. It's released an 80-slide PowerPoint that a lot of people have passed around saying what it's like to work at Netflix. That was years ago. They did that recently again. Um, Maybe you know what Netflix's culture is. So, anyway, there it is. Great company. Again, there will be no great stocks without great companies. Number 2, I covered this earlier, so I can short-circuit this one. Dark clouds. Dark clouds need to be present in our best stocks. For Netflix, Blockbuster was a dark cloud. Blockbuster when I first interviewed the CEO on the Motley Fool radio show uh, around 20 years ago had 25 million customers and Netflix had 300,000 and the Blockbuster CEO was talking about Netflix as something that was a niche thing and was great he was admiring of it but saying it wasn't that relevant. And look what's ended up happening. So a lot of people thought Blockbuster would come online and crush Netflix. Then people thought that Walmart would crush Netflix. Do you remember this? If you've held Netflix for 13 years you do. There was a time when We were all still doing the DVD thing with Netflix, and we were dropping off our DVDs at Walmart if we wanted to. We didn't have to do Netflix. We were doing a service like Netflix through Walmart, and that was going to crush Netflix. And then, how about cable companies? They were going to come along, and through their Movies On Demand, they're much bigger, more powerful companies than Netflix. Why would you even bother with renting DVDs through Netflix or even streaming when the cable companies have the heart of the consumer, we thought, or HPL or Amazon these days. The dark clouds roll out, that's just looking at Netflix, and that has to be present for our best stocks. And then the final attribute, and this is not resident in Netflix, it's resident in you, and that's, do you have resilience? Are you willing to sit there and let a stock, on its way to gaining 100 times or more in value, are you willing to watch it go down 75% or more multiple times? In this case, over 13 years. Amazon's done even more than that and done even better than that over more years. There is no path to a 10 bagger or a 100 bagger that doesn't have you crying in your soup multiple times over multiple years. And so it comes down to your own resilience. And sometimes by the way our resilience isn't well placed. I've held other stocks, we're going to be selling one this month in Motley Fool's stock advisor, companies that just didn't do very well and we held them for 10 years and we end up deciding we we're going to sell that stock. So it doesn't always work but when it does work it works so well that it wipes out all of your inadequacies. So thus much then for this July 2017 mailbag edition of Rule Breaker Investing. Thanks for staying with me if you did, to the bitter end, where we got to really kick through Netflix as a 100-bagger. An exciting moment for us here at The Molly Fool. As I mentioned, next week, we're going to kick off August with company culture. Let's improve yours. Let's make your workplace better with my friends Lee Burbage and Kara Chambers returning for their third visit to Rule Breaker Investing with some of their latest thinking to improve your life and mine. In the meantime, Fool on!